Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dungeon Master Discussions. I am your host, Zach the DM, and a little bit about this show is I have been a Dungeon Master for a number of years now, done a few tournaments, and worked with a wide variety of different tables. And uh, each week, I'm going to be interviewing different Dungeon Masters and getting their insight about their favorite or most knowledgeable topic. As every Dungeon Master, <laughs> every Dungeon Master has a lot of insight and they have information that it can be offered to you the viewer and me myself so i'm actually very excited to get to my very first guest today we are talking whoa and i have my original dungeon master the man that got me into dungeon dragons jake davidson here with me how's it going folks hope everyone is doing well tonight so in our very first campaign that we ever ran mm -hmm. was heavily uh war themed i believe i had Five characters go through in in the war effort. It, it was no easy feat at all. And I, I know you care a lot about war. Yeah, I do love war. I do love my war. <laughs> so, why do you think war is important in tabletop RPGs? Like, what what makes it such a thrilling thing to have in a game? Well, I, I think that there's a lot of components to war that a dungeon master can play with. Um, there's the element of the fatigue, so you can play the after effects of a war, so a war-torn nation where you're going through and you're seeing the destroyed buildings, you're seeing people that are not as lively as they should be, people that are bewildered, they're dismayed, they're, you know, they're, they're suffering, so you can play a lot on that, and there's a lot that you can really pull out of players, especially, I, I tend to like my emotion in games, so I really try to target areas where players, and when they're getting up from my table, it's almost like an experience, like, Whoa, that was like, whoo, that was that was something, right? And I, I find that that's a good way, you know. Even when you're in the beginning of a war, you've got the politics involved. So again, you've got a lot of heavy, you know, aspects that you can engage with throughout a war, from the beginning to the middle. Obviously, uh, that's where we played our first campaign. Was kind of like right in the middle, of, or it was beginning, beginning, middle of a war, kind of. You guys more or less stumbling across it. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, especially in that degree, when you're, when you're right in the smack dab middle of a war, you, you can get a lot of interesting maneuvers out of characters and again, behaviors. And you, you can see in the populations as the characters are going through how they're interacting with them, how they're affecting the, you know, you know the populace. I know there was one mission that I had you guys do that, uh, I really enjoyed and it was a timed event. It was a, it, and it was a rescuing rescuing uh, farm villagers from their farmsteads as a horde of orcs was coming in. And there was only a certain amount of time, a.k.a. you know, kind of rounds spent uh, as well, that they had to go and rescue all the villagers in these houses. And out of the four houses, I think they, I think you guys successfully managed to get to three of the four. Oh, did we? I thought we got, I thought we failed that terribly. No, 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 you guys got three of the four. Okay. It, it was just the last house, the last house. Oh. The, the first house took a long time, I remember. <laughs> I and then, like, the next two went down pretty quickly. But, yeah, I think it was three out of four you guys were able to get to. And so, again, you can, you can do different things other than a typical dungeon excursion oh you're going down into a cave you're going into a mine shaft you're going into a, another you know hole in the wall there's a lot that you can do with war that i really enjoy bringing out in dungeon dragons games yeah you hit on a lot of things that actually are important to a really good game that war kind of brings out um like you said the transition so 
there's times of peace and then a slow build up to war or maybe even a fast build up to war and then the slow gradual like recoup that everyone has to do as well as we all know war is heavily known for emotions and feelings so it's able to draw those out <laughs> it's war, war is definitely one of those things that kind of circumferences all the things you need for a good game but it's also very difficult to truly run in the game so mm -hmm. what i what i really want to dig deep with you is how you in your brain ran this war around us so i'll give you go ahead and be general if you like and i'll give you more specific things based on what you say if you've ever been a project manager <laughs> as a as a as a business person if you've ever looked at project management you can really understand how a war plays out because basically in order for event a to happen events or, or sorry in order for event d to happen events a b and c need to happen and where they happen and how they're happening you know the players don't necessarily need to be involved in every single step and so you can have reports coming in from different areas oh this happened over here so the players have a reaction to that that can then be engaged and it's like okay you know now now we're sitting here now we're, we're in an area where um uh you know now we're in an area where uh sorry, I'm, I'm having a little fog there no um uh, so so like um you're kind of going like how to choose war decisions even if the yeah, answer. sorry. How are you going to get from C to B, even if the players aren't involved in B or C? Yeah, I mean, so th th there's a lot of ways you can. Go Sometimes the players will outright avoid the war. Sometimes they'll go and try and sneak around the war. They don't want to be directly engaged in the war. There's a lot of different ways that these guys are willing to go about and not necessarily always engage in a war battle obviously there's those times where those war battles will come to the player's attention which i had a few times with you guys as well and it, it really is even about having how that is engaged with the players the flow of it making sure that there's not an overwhelming sense obviously a battle can be very overwhelming a war scene can be very overwhelming so how you're managing that is very important as well all right so so if it, it might it might just be like a, a pre-written or an idea that you, you know just one have. second we're gonna, we're gonna go on just a yeah, quick we'll break here and then we'll be uh <laughs> we'll be right back here folks sorry See you guys Excellent. welcome back everyone uh apologies for the quick break yeah. um so what we had last what we were just talking about is how we decide war decisions because of course the players aren't going to be involved in every decision mm -hmm. and every dungeon master has a a different way of deciding i definitely have let me answer that a little bit better because I, I got a little bit distracted with the noise no that's fine. so war decisions in a dungeon master uh, campaign uh you really need to play off a few things like i was saying there and kind of relating a b and c need to happen before d need to happen and the players don't necessarily need to be involved in all steps they can be involved in one of them and then you can have b and c happen and how the players react to those or what they do with the information based off b and c results in d um you know you can again like, you know let's say d comes to a culmination you, you you have a result out of d there's a progression going forward with d now you have e f g h and right <laughs> I, I, I you know that's what i mean project management and, and if you're a dungeon master you do this too right oh yeah I so 
you know, you've got EFGH now in line. Where the players decide to take themselves, you know they're not, you know you don't know the direction. We never know the direction. But, you know, if they decide to go and take down the ammunition depot, if they decide to go and take out the actual force that's out, you know, you know doing the scouting, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with them in a wartime scenario. And, and again, it's, there, there's a cause and effect, right? Um, you know, obviously, you, want, you really want to try avoid railroading in this situation. You don't want to just, despite their efforts, you know, nothing happening. But at the same time, you can really use this uh, to, you know, if if you do give multiple options, you you make sure that you you're clearly labeling out. Well, this one this one's going to be your easier option. This one's going to be your more difficult option. Yeah, there might be more rewards to reap off the difficult option, but out of the four options available, you could also really fuck things up, right? So there's, I I, I love it. I, I I tend to always try to include some type of war, something going on with war in my games because I find that there is just so much more you can do with war as compared to, you know. A, a an otherwise typical adventure of, of exploring caves and and, and stuff and, and obviously that's not every adventure but it, you know I, I find i find war just oh some a lot of meat to it there's almost like there's a lot of moving pieces around the land yes now. It, it definitely goes to that important dm skill of making the life world feel alive yeah. and a war is an active things where troops and resources need to be moved so people need to see it of course it's not discreet like love interest blooming or summer becoming fall. Okay. So, it, 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 how how would you decide? So, say you have a war going on, and your players have uh, found out that they've done okay in an encounter. Would off screen? Would you roll to see? which side maybe did better or would you be more about the story so whatever makes the story best occurs i find story focus leads to railroading mm -hmm. so the best thing you want to do is kind of again walk in with a preset how you have to understand a lot when it comes to war when you're beginning a war battle you have to understand okay who are the who are the forces at play here who, who is on side a b c um you know, if it's a two-sided war, you know, who's on both sides, who has, the, you know, the greater numbers, because that'll dictate a lot as well. If, if a force has greater numbers, then they're less likely to use guerrilla warfare, and they're less likely to uh, to think of tactics in that regard, especially just in that battle, because they, you know, the mindset is, oh, we've got the numbers, we've got this battle, we don't have to, we don't have to think like that to beat them, we should, you know, we'll just crush them with our numbers. Um, of, of course, not all nations will play at this. You can still have a nations, you know, that has the numbers, and they're like, "Screw you, we're still going to guerrilla warfare you to death." Of course, but it just typically you'll find that the smaller forces will will involve a lot of more sabotage and espionage and and, and those kind of things to to cripple down the other one. Obviously, examples you look at World War Two when I ask that. when uh, they, how many right right well, you, you know when when the French were. Uh, you know, the French were taken over, but they still had the resistance and they were still fighting back and they still managed to do a ton of damage. So, you know, that 
that's important. So if you're going in with like a 70-30, let's say, split, where like the, the side the players are against is 70% strength and your side's 30, and it's the player's actions that have to get in there, and in a battle, they did okay, well, then, you, you know, I walk out and I'm like, okay, well, they they had a, it, it would be a 50-50 battle then. So neither side won the battle, but then you have to look at the 70-30. Mm -hmm. Well, if no side won the battle, but the numbers are 70-30, you can probably estimate that if one side was to lose more people during the battle, it would have been the side with the lesser numbers, therefore the player side. Um, war can be an interesting thing too, because I, I, you know, just as I kind of highlight there, you really can use it as a tool to make your players heavily weigh their decisions. You know, walking out of a battle okay, but still coming out, licking your wounds and hurting, it's, you know, it, it really makes them think and, so, yeah, there's there's the answer there. Okay. We just had a follow there. Thank you, uh, Warrior, for the for the follow. And we had another one earlier from Graham uh, Graham Crackers. Oh, thank you guys. If you guys have any questions for Jake or myself about war, feel free to leave them in the chat. I will be looking for that. All right. So you, you touched on a great point: is that war can have many different um, varieties. So it can really a war can be anything you want. It can be a skirmish between gangs almost it can be mm -hmm. full-fledged countries nations mm -hmm. going to war so i want to ask you out of your favorite to run like actually like if you were to run it what would you prefer to run and what would be the best for story type of war so small gorilla up to gang up to what is the best for you to run and the best for story? I think the answer to both of those is going to be uh, country to country. Because, mm -hmm. again, kind of where I was highlighting, with with, this, with wars, you ha you can have longevity. And, and, again, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. The beginning tends to involve a lot of politics. So when you're talking nation versus nation, I mean, you're talking... You know, there's there's a breaking down of discussions. There's a breaking down of diplomacy between these two nations. Something's happened. Mm -hmm. So the players can root to that. Is there someone behind the scenes maybe orchestrating it so that these two nations go to war? Is there another bandit group out there that is maybe, you know, attacking both of these nations at the same time, blaming the other one to cause this war? Um, so I, I really find that when you have a nation versus nation, that, that, that beginning is, is so rich and, and filled with, Filled with political discussions, okay. filled with intrigues, filled with a lot of things that you as a dungeon master can do. Um, and again, when you're getting to the middle, I mean, there's no other thing greater and better than nation versus nation warfare. Look, you want to look at that. You take a look at the examples of England versus France, the medieval uh, medieval ages or other empires, where it's it's just I, I mean, from a humanitarian's perspective, it's 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 horrible because you know thousands and thousands of people die. But from a historical view and from like a war uh you know from, from like a, a war or a, even like a fighting appreciation kind of a kind of view it's you know it's it's a huge battle there's it, it's an epic battle there's a lot of swords at play there's a lot of arrows at play magic at play so you can really really you know have that play out well and uh you know and, and again it's really interesting as a dungeon master to have your players in the middle of a combat fray like that and, and how you manage it so that they're not overwhelmed, but they're still feeling as if they are overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. it's very, very tricky to do there. And then again, at the end, you, you, you have, 
you have so much that can happen at the end. You either have the crushing defeat of one end and maybe it just completely gets assimilated into this new nation that is being led by this aggressive force. Mm -hmm. Or you have a 50-50 split where they both just go, hey, you know what? Like, let's, let's just agree to disagree and, you know, stop this war and, you know, stop killing each other. Or something else happens. I mean, there, there's a lot that you can pull out of wars. So uh, I, I would say that, hands down, my favorite type of war battles to run and for story-wise and just, just campaigns to run is is country versus country, state versus state. As big as you can get it, that's what I love. I like that. No, I I, um, I definitely enjoyed the large-scale combats and the oh. political injury. Yes, I was going to get to that. Oh, sorry. Um, it's very fun. Um, but I, I have found um, with a few different people... That running these big style games is, it's almost hard to, uh, unless the characters have backgrounds in it, it almost feels hard to get them to hook into these big war stories. Like, mm -hmm. I'm an adventurer, why do I care about uh, King uh, Butt Scratch? Um, so, do you have any hooks or ideas for getting people kind of like, well, if they're not already war-type characters in on this war. Absolutely. Uh, one of the areas you want to really focus on, again, you know, kind of where I highlighted at the beginning of this discussion is, is in that wartime. Like what happens during a war? What happens at the end of a war? Well, I mean, even during a war, there is suffering. Like, you know, there is losses. When, when, when a city gets taken by another and raised as opposed to, like, conquered, it's destroyed. All those people's homes are destroyed. All it would take, you know, for a campaign to kind of kick off is your players all, you know, they they get end up, you know, they end up being tasked to go visit this local town. That's yeah, it's a it's it's a little bit away, maybe two days away, and to go see someone's daughter there. And all of a sudden, you go to visit this town, and it's decimated, bodies placed all around, spears through them. There, it's just. Yeah, everyone's butchered and it's clear who's done it and you go back to this town and you tell them hey your daughter's dead yeah i saw her head on a pike you know it's i'm sorry and you know it's you you, you begin pulling on that and you know you know all that person you know again who loses their daughter says hey you know please help me go talk to you know you can't let this stand so you know it won't work for everybody yeah. it's it, it's it's yeah. you, know, you know that's our way you know, aim at the suffering, aim aim at, you know, what's going on with the local populations, how the players can get themselves involved in aiding the people around them. And then, obviously, something else to do is, you, you know, you, you could do, a, hey, go to this village, and while they're at this village, this village is attacked, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the players are, well, they're likely forced to draw their weapons, and they're likely forced to fight these soldiers. And it's like, well, hey, who are these soldiers, right? And, I mean, you could even do it that, the good guys are attacking this village because it's actually a bad village that yeah. the characters are in, but they don't know it's a bad village. They just know it's a village that's they're in and they're shopping there. And so there's, yeah, I mean, we, we've there's learned, a lot of, we've learned from our Minecraft realm, the politics of warfare. <laughs> I mean, you know, I will say you are dealing with the master of war and in our Minecraft realm. So, there is a there's a lot to it. I mean, you, you know, there's there's even you know something that you highlighted, uh, you know, as, as your wizard was, um, you know, the the desire to play that tricky. Like I'm going to attack myself, blame it on the other guy, and then go to war with him. And that happens a lot too. And 
that again like there, there's so many different reasons to spark fires and again that village being slaughtered that could be the reason there it could be the king's orders to hire bandits to go and slaughter this village under guise of this other kingdom so that the players go they did it it was them yeah i saw with my own eyes but is everything as you see it's it's two good hooks uh catastrophe which is which is always a fun one mm -hmm. and then the the foreign offensive because you you know D and D players do tend to get stuck in the they're attacking me they're bad shouldn't they know I'm just a good person mm -hmm. and that's Sally that makes bread it's like nah no nah, not in war not all the time sometimes and then obviously no. you, you kind of highlighted you know the backgrounds ideally what you want to try and do is make it so that one or more of the individuals of this party are going to want to get involved because of their backgrounds yeah. I know the one campaign I ran with you guys for instance. It was the dwarves that were being attacked by the orcs, and we were doing a variation of when the uh, oh, I'm gonna, uh, the Many Arrows tribe yeah. came down. I believe it was like 1371 DR, if I'm not mistaken, in the Forgotten Realms timeline. But um, the, the Many Arrows tribes come down in the in the, uh, uh, in the Silver Marshes, and they try to uh, you know take over and, and attack the various dwarf kingdoms. And this is kind of where the dwarves. Uh, rehabilitate themselves and they really come back in strong numbers and in the lore of it as well but so for instance in there it was important to have a couple dwarves that so you go like hey look the dwarves are under attack you're a dwarf like there's that kinship like you don't want to see your kin die right you don't want to see your own your own kind being slaughtered before your eyes so again that's another way to draw people in and ha have them contributed on that kind of a scale there's riches I, I mean all it takes is a king saying hey listen uh, uh there's only two ways about this you can either leave my lands and join the other people or uh, you can make it get you can make it paid you can, get paid. <laughs> you can make it get paid you can get paid you get paid very well handsomely so handsomely so all right uh i did want to uh, ask brian's question uh have you uh, when you guys plan out a war theme campaign uh, do you or ever uh, try and base the overarching storyline on uh, historical wars? Um, I would say that I don't try and base the guideline or like outcome on a historical war. Mm -hmm. I use events that happened in wars. I use um, strategies that have happened in wars. I use, you know, for instance... Uh, Something that happened when the Roman Empire was trying to conquer the Germanic people, um, they would go and with the chieftains, they would take their sons as kind of like a tribute. You know, hey, you give your son to Rome and we will make him a grand Roman citizen. He'll be fantastic. But this is more or less like a brainwashing where they would send them back. And the, the idea of sending them back was that they would then take over their father's kingdom, but they would be loyal to Rome. Because they're brainwashed. However, there was one man who uh, did not have that soul, and his name was Aurelius, and he ended up slaying his father and thousands of Romans by tricking them, leading them in deep into the Germanic forests where they were ambushed in guerrilla warfare because the Romans, they never fought guerrilla warfare. They didn't fight like that. Mm -hmm. He stretched them out like a thin snake and cut off piece by piece before the tail could react, and that's where the, <laughs> the, the command was. So, you know, there's... Uh, no, I like that. Uh, no, I've never done a whole storyline based on one war. So that's what we're saying. I, I lost. But, yeah. <laughs> I 
But um, I've definitely done it where, like you said, different battles. There have been so many different dramatic battles throughout history. And some of them are just amazing to see. Like, mm-hmm. if you come, if you're in a war and you come across this hill and you just see this hill is just covered by hundreds of bodies. And then you look up to the top and just four of these, like, uh elven adventures come out with these like bows and like spears it's just like holy shit those guys had the held the hill against all those guys there there are moments like that especially and like jake said tactics uh never a full one um yeah just a little more there on on brian bottles i i really think that that you can definitely use history and you can use these battles 100% as as, as the themes and the general concepts for them. And, and again, more on the Romes, Romans, when uh, um, the Romans went and burned Carthage, when they burned that to the ground mm-hmm. and destroyed it. Yeah. That's just another example of something you can throw into your campaigns. Same kind of style. So yeah, I, I, I definitely use historical events that have happened. I, don't, I, I would not say that I use the actual full storyline. Because I, I personally, uh, I just like to be able to mix it up and just make something my own. Um, it's actually why I really struggle to run uh, campaign books you know, or anything like that. That's like pre-planned. I just like, yeah, you know what? Like, I just, uh, I just, I just want to. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, uh, war definitely has a lot of pros to run in your game. However, with every good thing must be consequences Mm -hmm. so what are some cons in your mind to running a war in your game besides maybe any other campaign um it can be heavy it can be definitely very heavy i I, again as a dungeon master i try to and i don't want this to sound cruel i I like having fun but i really like my players coming out of my games feeling emotionally involved and you know, I, I don't want every game to be a happy fest where it's like, yay! Woo! I, got, I want my players leaving some games being like, oh, wow, like that just happened. Or like, oh my God, like, are we getting out of this alive? Like, I, I want my players to really to really be feeling, feeling things when they leave the table. So I find that war can be a very heavy thing. It can also be triggering for people, unfortunately, that have found themselves in you know wartime situations so when you know again as a dungeon master when you're describing certain things it can it can trigger ptsd moments and it can do those kind of things so you really have to be wary of who your party is and you know if there is somebody in your party that you know does suffer from those things you got to be mindful of that and you know trying to avoid those kind of things again like, like there's there's a lot to war there are very 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 dark tunnels you can go down and you know depending on your group I play 18A. I leave no hold bars. Um, you know, I, again, I very much care about my players leaving the table having, I mean, in my opinion, uh, you know, had an experience that you know they they can't really get other places and they want to come back and make mag. I gotta, gotta do that again. <laughs> so, uh, I just leave that there, and I can't really think of any other cons per se. I mean, well. I was gonna say it's it's a lot of it can be depending on how you build it a lot of work because oh, yeah. <clears throat> normally you're building a plot and you kind of allow the world to work around it. Now you're creating a plot and almost like a living organism inside the plot and the scenario that you have to 
think about. Mm -hmm. Definitely a lot more work in trying to make the world more lively, but I think that, you know, with, with, with any good dungeon mastering that, you know, the more effort you put into it, the more, you know, the more that the game's going to be beneficial for everyone and that there's more to be enjoyed. And, you know, if you're making everything moving, you know, if there, if there are pieces moving again, if you've taken project management and business, you understand this, that like there's times, like there's strict times. If event D is happening in four weeks, well, it happens in four weeks, right? You know, events A, B, and C have to happen. They'll happen. But are the players going to be involved? Did the players get there in time? You know, which one did they help out? You know, they couldn't maybe help out all of them in time. So they had to, they had to choose. So, you know, weighing all that out, having it all all come down, the, you, know, you know, the pipeline. And uh, it, it can definitely get very busy. It can be very busy, very, very compacted. But overall, um, it, it is really just in managing it, making sure that you, you've got a clear idea of what you're trying to do from the beginning where these points of interests are again like if you're planning on there being that big first epic battle that everyone's going to be a part of you know you're thinking lower the reigns you're thinking you know that the battle of the, the, the five armies kind of thing you know you, you got to make sure you've got that planned out so that at least most of the five armies will be there to battle <laughs> that makes sense and they're not just appearing like how'd they cross this huge open stretch here and, and, and no one no one knew about that it's like uh magic no, there. War is definitely one of those things where if you put in the effort and uh, you really plot it out somewhat in advance. Of course, having those moments where the players can diverge uh, can make the game great. Like we said, there's a lot of things that you need to prepare in advance. Mm -hmm. So, another important thing is of war is not just how it affects your game with your players. Uh, it goes so far as to even be before that. Months before you even get a game together, war is already happening inside the mind of Dungeon Master, mm -hmm. inside of World Builder. As uh, I know I've definitely been guilty of this when I first began world building, is I'd make a bunch of different locations... And then I would be like, yeah, no, they've just held off uh, at this point. Uh, yeah, no, all, all the cities that were destroyed, uh, yeah, they were just destroyed in history. Yeah, they didn't make that. Um, so I definitely have it where I have a lot of locations where they haven't had times of war. And I've definitely adopted that in my world building where I create original settlements. Mm -hmm. And then I do a lot of rolling to decide how each forms out throughout the time before i get to a time where i'm ready for players to play in my world mm -hmm. uh how do you how do you take your war and world building well i would i would highly advise everyone out there that if you have ever heard of the game sid meyer's civilization i would recommend you play a round of that and out of that you should have an appreciation and an idea of how to grow literally a civilization because there's a lot of different ways to go about it civilizations have different ideals they have different goals they have different dreams aspirations that whole thing and they're different focuses um so that that plays a huge role i i tend to world build from a perspective of um you know i, I again try it so this is where brian and Biles, i i heavily rely on our world history uh, you know kind of if, you're, if you're still in the chat here um 
Yeah, this is where I heavily rely on world history for my world building. It is how the world was, how our how our own world was shaped. I generally try to apply to my own uh, Dungeon Dragons worlds, and that is in a war is prevalent. It, it is all over the place because people have disagreements. They want other things from other people. There's and especially in Dungeons and Dragons world, you have different monsters. You have different monster races. You have different races. You can have the different, you know, dwarves versus elves fighting. You can have humans versus elves fighting. You can have sub races, uh, sub races fighting. You can Classing have you know, <laughs> orcs, beasts. Um, you, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways to, to really shape out nations. And, to me, it's important to detail the history because you'll you'll leave those marks and you'll watch where certain nations have almost like overlapped each other and, and and you know where it's like little pockets have come in and you know culturally you'll have a city that may you know re resemble two cultures at the same time. So it's important for your players to also note that be like, hey, yeah, you're in this. Let's say you're in this Egyptian looking settlement but it also has a lot of greek resemblance too well that's because the greeks also took over egypt for a couple hundred years so you know there's there's reasons why things happen and another big thing that civilization shows is the different periods um mm -hmm. you know when you're playing Sid Meier's civilization you, you you start off in the beginning you know in, in the beginning age you you make your way up into the bronze age the iron age they you know all these different ages and the worlds shape out like that too if you take a look at our own world um historically speaking when you're looking at it the nations that developed the fastest in the world were around the mediterranean scene that's because they're all at war with each other rome was at war with greece greece is at war with the persians persia was at war with the egyptians egypt was at war everyone was at war with each other constantly they're always being conquered always taking over each other always fighting always fighting always fighting always fighting yeah and when you look at countries in the era when you look at continents in our world that did not have that same kind of constant war being fought around them, you look at countries like South America, you look at North America, you look at the continent or countries, the continents of North America, Af uh, South America, and Africa. Those three continents, for the most part in our history, didn't have a lot of those same huge war battles that we saw being fought in the Mediterranean and the Eastern countries. And that's why you see the Roman Empire having grew so large. That's why you saw the Byzantine Empire having grown so large. The the Ottoman Empire having grown so large. The Assyrian Empire having grown so large. All these empires in the East. The Egyptian Empire grown so large. All these civilizations grew so large because they're always fighting. Mm -hmm. uh, India and China also have deep histories of them fighting. But, they, you know, again, they mostly fought within their own confines. The Mediterranean Sea was a vast sea where ships were going all the time, which is why in that area they traveled a little bit more. But again, when when the uh, Spanish came over to South America, it's it, 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 it's documented the, the differences in the weaponry, and again that that is a that is only because of how different yeah. the the dynamics of the last 15 20 centuries of, of those areas had been yeah. and the same thing plays out in Dungeons and dragons worlds for me as well where you where you have certain nations that are going to be more more advanced and you're going to have you know because they're fighting you're going to have these nations having overlap because they've conquered and the other one's conquered here these events have happened this king this king has risen here this king has risen there as you can tell i love my history and therefore yes. because of my my, my deep 
vested love of history, I, I also love war because war is history. And oh, yes. so in, the, in conclusion, I thoroughly enjoy using a real world kind of application of how the world was formed and how countries are formed and, and applying that to a Dungeons and Dragons campaign in the same method. Um, you know, one we're working on right now, you know, we're, we're kind of applying a, a lot of that to where we're having our, our races all kind of coming down. You know, all the elves are coming down kind of in the same area. All the humans are they're starting in the same area. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're already kind of doing that, doing that there as well. We're, yeah, there's going to be a lot, lot, lot of tensions at first, and so. <coughs> no, yeah. uh, that was good. And uh, essentially what you're getting at is that war, when you need to be good at killing people fast, you create tools and you create things to get better at killing people fast. And you can use that war, because like, I wouldn't say as much as just killing people fast because it. What, well, isn't what that it, why we upgrade weapons? We went from a sword to a gun because a gun is faster and. Well, yes, it, it is range. more advanced. So, 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 so in that aircraft, but I, I I would say that a lot of what leads to the advancement of weaponry is actually the defensive side of things. The the Keep desire, the desire to be. Uh, stronger than your enemies in order to scare them off of attacking you. And Yes, but to know. do that, you had to convince them that you were better at killing them than they were going to be at killing you. Yes. So if you had the better killing weapon, they'd be like, fuck, the Scots, man. The Scots got that two-hander. Let's leave it alone. But um, you, you, can, you can use that same kind of mentality as like... Uh, war advanced because they wanted to keep people alive and they wanted to intimidate the enemies uh, into other things. So if your world doesn't have as much combat, what what causes them to become uncomfortable, which causes a need for advancement? It doesn't need to be war exactly that advances people. If there's extreme drought across the planet, I'm sure that the races would find a way to uh advance water creation or something of course those lines. but i mean for instance you know we you know we have to take a look at what happens with our history you know, mm -hmm. and when we do that like we take a look at a lot of the again like the, you know in south america and africa and and what happened in north america mm -hmm. a lot of those early civilizations they they didn't progress you know to the same ages as as the other ones because they're they're there wasn't a need to, it, mm -hmm. you know, there, there wasn't a, you know, it, it very much has to do with the, the old idea as well of, you know, um, if you've ever heard the phrase, you know, uh, you know, keep to your own kind of, you know, keep to your own grass. Don't look at your neighbor's grass, right? Mm -hmm. You know, don't covet what your neighbor has. Coveting what your neighbor has has also led to a lot of advancement too, where you look over at a nation and say, oh, well, they've got running water out of their fountain. Well, I want what running water. I want running water out of my fountain too. So, so a lot of that too. And when you don't have that that competing, you know, when they're when they're not nearby, yeah. when 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 the next nearest you know civilizations three four hundred miles away, like you're not in that like. Well, what do you have? Because you know, it takes you weeks to get there. But when you're talking about you know you know the you know the way that we've you know that the Eastern world played out. 
you know, they, they were very close to one another. Mm -hmm. uh, Athens and Sparta were very close when the Greeks were at war. Uh, you know, they were Rome, taking each other's designs. Yeah, very, very much so. They, they're saying, "Hey, you know what? You, you know, you've got this. Yeah, I want it too." And, and that's what leads to war too. Is you know that conquering. Not to say that any you know that South America, North America, and Africa did not have their wars or battles. They they did, but th their battles were more conclusive, almost to the point that you know one one nation ended up dominating and it wasn't the know, back and forth. Like, yeah, there, who's gonna win? It's like it's like Kobe versus a. I don't want to. There, there, are, there are a lot of already drawn, <laughs> drawn out lines, and uh, yeah, I mean, so yeah, th that's uh, that's where I'm gonna leave that. No, that makes perfect. No, world building, war is, is definitely a huge part of our world, and what's always interesting about the fantasy world is we as humans in our world, we are surrounded by unintelligent beasts um which as long as we have a bigger pokey stick or fire we pretty well dominate like 99 percent. you give us a big pokey stick and like three of us three of us with big pokey sticks any animals gonna take some time but it's down yeah but now you live in a fantasy world where there are these creatures that can come from the depths of anywhere and murder many of you with pokey sticks mm -hmm. uh what do you do then what they can infiltrate your your place so there's there's going to be a lot more advancement even if you're a solo type area where you haven't met people but you're gonna have advancements in such specific and different ways you, you definitely can i i, I mean I, I, I mean I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that of course i mean, I mean there, there, there can be advancements without the necessity for war but there's a comfortability that comes when you don't have to be afraid when you're almost just living life. And and, and the beautiful thing about the North American, South American and, and African societies and, and civilizations is they were pretty much just living lives. You know, they, they had very deep cultural roots. They had very deep beliefs. They very, Hey, we've been doing this for centuries. Why change things? This is great. You know, this is, you know, we don't need to change anything. Nothing's broke. Don't fix what isn't broke. But you know, it's, you know, it, the, the unfortunate part of that too is that you, you know when when there's that force that comes by as happened in our world repeatedly i mean you look at africa you look at south america you look at, look at north america when the english and, and the french came over to north america when the spanish came over to south america when a lot of different nations went down into africa to, to, to take to conquer it mm -hmm. you know when they went down there they were they were leagues ahead unfortunately of of the um of, of the home uh, civilizations and, and therefore the home civilizations weren't able to to withstand um but uh something that brian bottles uh posted in the uh in the chat here is that uh george carlin had a, a funny bit about how cover uh, coveting drives the economy he said if your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays oh come all ye faithful you want to get one too and, and he's right because and that, and again that's kind of what i was saying there is is that it not only drives uh, you know a war front it also drives an economy it's just like hey i, I want what they have so we, we need to figure out how to get what they have kings would do this all the time mm -hmm. if they couldn't do it over figuring out technologically they just go conquer you yeah well i'm just gonna go take it from you i'm gonna go take what you have because i want it and that's something that has happened in humanity's history for thousands and thousands and thousands of years so applying that and just you know, like i said go play sid meyer civilization and you'll get Tons of different concepts, plays different civilizations in, in that sense too. You'll you'll see that a lot of them have different goals. Some are more religious focused. 
Some are more education focused. Some are more industrial focused. Some are more war focused. There's different things that, that everyone is is focused on and, and trying to do. And, you know, it could almost be, it could almost be said if you're going to look at, look at things, it almost be that, you know, the Aztecs had a very religious uh, component to them. And, you know, you know, versus a lot of these Eastern countries, they had a lot of war, war to them. And, you know, they, they, they just had the, the larger force at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it there. All right. Well, what would you say to <clears throat> DM that has built this town or city, great city, and they a war has come through and completely destroyed it? Is that not, have I not just wasted my time creating that town? If it just gets raised, not at all, because it's it, it's now locked in the history. Um, it's it's now a it's now a piece that your players will be able to take with them and remember. And especially if you continue down the road in the campaign, or if you have a, net, a new campaign where you come by this point, it's it's now a historical piece. Um, you, you know, we we learn a lot from our mistakes, and we just learn a lot too from history itself. And you know, we, we need those landmark reminders of like, hey, this event took place. It's right here. This is this is the remnants of it. So we all need to come together now and, you know, remember why this happened and, you know, maybe settle our differences if it's between two armies. Hey, like this is pretty bad that happened here. Um No, I I, I think if anything, it adds more to to the story. It adds more to the world because now you've put in the place you know, yeah. Let's say a city gets destroyed. Well, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot that can come out of that. You've got vengeful survivors. Yeah. Uh, you have potential changes of a crown if it's a king or kingdom that was slain. Uh, you have, um, you know, the the, the the next political rises if a town's been taken out. How does that shape up a, a kingdom's politics? You know, it was it was a baron slain. Um, you know, going back through, you know, a decade later, there's going to, you know, is the town rebuilding? Has it rebuilt? Is it even worth rebuilding? So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that, that can be done with, with destroying the work that you've done. And, you know, yeah, it, it sometimes sucks to put in all the effort and put in all those shops and, and, and do all of that. And then all of a sudden just get, you know, roll up a piece of paper and toss it into the, the fire. But, you know, at the same time, that's, that's that, you know, um, <laughs> It reminds me of playing uh, Betrayal Legacy. Uh, it's a board game where you know, it was the first board game I played that you are literally ripping up cards as you're playing it because you know this card is no longer part of your story. Well, it's kind of like that's like this city being so perfect. It's no longer part of your story. This city's now destroyed. Your story now has this city as destroyed. The people are displaced. You know, maybe there's quests to go and find long lost nobles that can rise and maybe return this city back to its former glory. That's a new campaign. I mean. There's a lot of different options out there that that with a war torn city, destroyed city, town, you can go with, and, and and yeah, I will always say that it adds to the story as opposed to taking away. And that if you're if you're hesitant on whether or not like, should I should I take that time and destroy my city that I've worked so hard to build? It took me a month to build the city. Yeah, if that's what your story says to do, if that's if that's how things have played out, if you know if your players destroyed the bridge. Stopping the army from getting down to this to the main city, but they end up going to the second city because it's the one in the way. Well, that second city is gonna bite the bullet. It's gonna get hit. It's gonna get destroyed. And you know, there's 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 everything that comes after that. Mm-hmm. Again, 
the town's destroyed. Well, what happens when a town gets destroyed? It gets rebuilt, right? So then you've got the, re the you know the, the rebuilding effort put in. You've got the players able to go around there and request and request resources, able to go and get the resources themselves. Druids can come in. I mean, like you can have this huge thing. They rebuild the town. Statue may be erected in their name and honor. I mean, you can you can milk it. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Destroy your work as a dungeon master. You know, don't don't feel bad about destroying your work. It, you know, it. It's it's what we do. Alright. I like that. I like that. Uh for uh, a phoenix to rise you must burn it with to ashes. And and it doesn't even have to rise again. You, you know, uh the Well even even just like that momentum, mm -hmm. that historical moment is a phoenix in its own. That... It, it doesn't have to come back and be this great thing. <coughs> but it, it dying, like you said, it leaves all these memories, histories, people might far away talk about how they used to live in such and such and they're like i own a big map and i've never seen such and such it's like well yeah it's been gone for 25 years huge example to that too I, again i love my history roman empire when the roman empire fell all right the remnants of the roman empire were far and wide the the, the roman empire had stretched all the way up into england which is known as britannia at the time uh, about halfway through and then they built hadrian's wall to stop the Picts, aka the early Scots, my people, from uh, climbing over the wall, they we did anyways, and uh, <laughs> you know, so just because you build a wall doesn't mean people won't come over. Walls don't work. <laughs> <laughs> the Ottoman Empire proved that with a cannon, and then people stopped building walls. It's like, well, why are we even building the wall? You guys have cannons. That's a good, that's a good it took us ten years to build the wall, and you knocked it down in a day. I expected a ladder, Jeffrey, not a fucking cannon. So. <laughs> all right if, if you are going to uh run a campaign and start uh making it war themed what is number one thing that you are going to prepare for this war what is the very starter thing that you need to do the both the forces who, who's fighting who who's um, fighting you, you know, you really got to get down, like I said, you know, a little bit ago, you've got to, when you're doing a war, you have to know who is fighting who. Again, the numbers on both sides, the weaponry on both sides, that has to be drawn out. You, you have to understand the dynamics of each force. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, if you're using preset forces, obviously, you know, that that's, that's simple. If you're making your own, obviously, make your own, but it has to be applied every single time they go to battle, you know. If you're if you're trying to make a Roman Empire esque force, okay, well then they're traveling in legions, which is large numbers of troops, right? Each legion has has uh, you know uh, platoons under them, so you're you're constantly having you know there there's one legion, but they've got you know maybe ten thousand legionnaires as part of that legion. So if they send three legions north and four legions east, well that's seventy thousand legionnaires. You gotta keep track. So 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 that's important, right? Um. You know, and again, like again, what each army does. So if it's 70, 30, you're, you're probably going to aim that the 30% is going to be, you know, they're probably not going to want to meet them on the field of battle. They're, they, you know, and if they do, you know, it's the, they're going to get licking. So, you know, it's playing into the strategies. What are the strategies of both of these forces? You know, again, the numbers, the armor, the equipment, all that. You have to know what they're going to war with. Um, you know, and that will give you the understanding of what, is is going to happen in these battles you know how how the tactics will be employed what's going to 
to be used as their their method are they going to go and attack villages burn villages is that their method you know are they looking to just displace the king what's their goal in this is it conquering is it defending themselves you know if they're defending themselves they're less likely to go and raise down cities they're less likely just to go and raise down a city you know we're just going to go take out your king because screw your king your king's being a dick you know so I would say that is the most important thing. Understand who's fighting who, yeah. the equipment involved, the forces involved. You know, understanding both sides, seeing both sides of the field. I mean, okay, who, who, what, what pieces do I have to move around here? And then obviously it's then you know beginning to move those pieces and and uh, you know you know allow your players to be directional in, in how a lot of events play out. You know, um, I like how you do that. Um, a lot of people would kind of start with uh, definitely the. the 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 plot elements and uh I, I like how you especially because people tend to start with uh well king jeffrey doesn't like king james and so they're going to go to war and then they decide the troops and the numbers and i think having that in advance really helps dictate how that political uh how the war is going to begin well just sorry. I, I I mean I I would say like the very first thing. To, I yeah, mean you, you you kind you kind of have to figure out like who's fighting who and why. So mm -hmm. like that's the very very first thing. But you know I I, I was kind of moving just past that basic thing because that's that's the you know it's who's fighting who and why. Yeah. You got to figure out you know why are they fighting you know who's fighting who what do they have to fight that's you have to figure out basically that that that, that war sheet if you're you know got to hand somebody a skinny here's a summary on this battle. Jack is fighting James because. Jack doesn't like what James said. James has 10,000 troops. Jack has 15,000 troops. James has 1,500 horses. Jack has 10 horses. And, yeah. So, you've you, you really got to figure that out before you can do anything else. No, that... No, I, I definitely agree. And I, I like that you think about the troops. Because I definitely think about, like, I'll be like, oh... Then I got 20,000. This one has 50,000. And then people would be like, what's their makeup? And I'm like, ah, fuck. But they're soldiers. It's like, yes, but there's a vast variety of soldiers there. Horsemen, mm -hmm. there are archers. Did they use crossbows or longbows? I'm like, fuck. That plays out a lot. You know, you know a force with in. archers is known to be the more deadly force, force most of the time. But again, how it plays out, if the archers are the ones that are being hit first by the horseback riders... A lot of differences can play out. No, definitely like that. Thank you, PX. It's not fancy day. There's dungeon master discussions. Every dungeon master should be a little bit fancy. He's proud of the stories that he creates and grabs. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. If you were going to play in a war game, it, um, what class would you go? <clears throat> I think the classes. Um, I don't think that, that there's necessarily like a class to pick. Um, yeah, every class can do something in, in in a war, and again, it really depends on what you're trying to do as a character. Like, if you know that you're walking into a, a war theme, so I'll go with that. If you know you're walking into a war theme, then you know, and, and you want to try and be a part of the story. I always like players that try and be a part of the story instead of like handing me a background that's just like here, oh, it's a war theme. Well, I'm gonna be like anti-war, and it's like, 
well, like that's great, <laughs> but like it really makes it difficult to get you engaged on this end there. So, you know, if you could just throw me a bone a little bit, you know, something to work with. Um, there was a question there. <laughs> what class would you play so, uh, if you were in a war game? I would probably go with fighter. Um, again, fighter is a very common one. You can pretend you're a soldier or farmhand that's rising up to, to take up arms if you're you know on the defending side or the aggressing side either way um archer so you're on ranger again that's pretty self-explanatory also fighter levels can do the ranger damage as well yes um, wizard sorcerer as well again the magical side of things rogue for the stealth ambushing uh scouting i would probably try avoiding monk monks tend to be more passive and they tend to be uh very uh specific in why they are being aggressors in the first place again not all the time just typically paladins tend to not be involved in wars um i myself actually played as a paladin on a server while there was a war effort between two nations going on and the official stance that the, the paladin order i was a part of and my own stance as a paladin at the time was that we are not weapons to be used as aggressors so even though a paladin uh dedicates themselves to a kingdom they're not necessarily dedicating themselves to the kingdom they're, de they're dedicating themselves to the people of the kingdom mm -hmm. not to the actual king because paladins are known to overthrow kings all the time if the kings are in, are corrupt and they're not being just to their people mm -hmm. paladins will be like screw you we're coming to town um so they wouldn't be involved in the aggressive side of a battle unless the uh, unless the person or force that was attacking the civilization was like an absolute enemy so for instance the zentarum in the forgotten realms if the zentarum were attacking a city and at war with the city paladins would join in a war against the zentarum mm -hmm. but if it was again we're speaking of uh, forgotten realms for uh, for uh, some clarity here if it was sembia versus cormier uh paladins really wouldn't get involved unless it was again on the defensive side so if cormier attacked sembia Paladins and Sembia would defend the cities against the Cormirian forces to defend the people. Yeah. But they wouldn't necessarily go and get themselves involved in the actual fighting. Like, you know, Sembian Sembian paladins marching across Cormirian lines to go and attack and slay people Cormir? No. No. At least my version of Paladins, which is like the, the strictly <laughs> lawful good version. I'm I'm not I'm not sold on, on the uh everything i'll well, have you back to discuss solely paladins i'm yes. gonna bring you all the broken paladins that fifth edition has, has done and i'll just have your pure reactions see so so, so <laughs> see brian balls called me man paladins can go no problem as long as there's a reason to support their oath in fifth edition all right all right yeah. all right we'll have you back for this discussion as i know paladins no. are in third very in, in third edition no. <laughs> third edition would be a little bit different so, um well, so let me stand up for the record correction in fifth edition the paladin could go to war and it, it, they could be a part of uh, of the battle. If you're playing third edition, not so much. But fifth edition, Paladin could. So let me just recant all what I said back for Paladins because that was a third edition thought. I'm a third edition DM still. <laughs> so fifth edition Paladin, and yes, they could go to war. Yes, um, it's more, more open-ended. But um, Warlocks uh, would probably be the class I, I'd avoid. Warlocks, uh, I would avoid monks. I would avoid bards. Um Barbarians and fighters. Boy with the, a lot of damage there. You needed the guy that did the when the English were marching with the muskets. I don't know. I'm doing a voice right now. 
So, just get lies, so, so, so Brian and Bottles says there is a whole war series we call the Crusades, Jake. Oh, all right, all right. We're gonna do a whole Paladin episode, Brian. You'll have to come back. Can, can I make a quickie on that? Oh, quickie on that. Go ahead, the all right. The chair is yours. So that would be an example of, and I'm gonna put this in in in, in Dungeons and Dragons terminology. This is what this is. That would be the example of the paladins in that rising up against a force that they would dictate as, as being the evil force that is aggressing against their people, and in the Crusades it was to take over the city of Jerusalem, which was their holy city. So it was in in, in Dungeons and Dragons, if in third edition, if you were to take a paladin and do the same thing, you could argue that the paladin would go to battle because it's taking back holy their holy city of their deed. You could go, hey, we're taking back the holy city of Tyr because it fell into the the hands of of. Uh, I'm not saying this is how it played out in in, in the Crusades, but <laughs> you know, it, you know, it it was taken over by forces of um, you know uh, Shar, for instance, you know. So it's like there there'd be a reason why a paladin of tear would want to go to battle against that force. That know? makes perfect sense. Alright. So we, we spoke on it. Of course there's mages and sorcerers in combat, which we don't have any real life example to kind of look to. And every time I look at adding sorcerers and casters into my war fronts, I find that it nearly debilitates the tactics which we have now it almost feels like there needs to be completely new tactics thought of when you start adding spells and area of effects because it's kind of like having a a bunch of more effective molotovs and they didn't really have molotovs all that often well something some real quick to add there if i can yes do that yes, um, do. again looking back at the way that wars and battles were fought between between uh forces a lot of it was strategic strategic maneuvering to counter the opposing forces if mm -hmm. they were coming at you with horses you use spearmen mm -hmm. so if if there if there were forces coming at you with spellcasters and wizards it would be very very wise to take them out fast kill them first so you would likely be using your archers to target them and to harass them so is the wizard sitting there launching fireballs all day long? No, they're they're probably neck deep in their own fighting. They've got, you know, forces right in front of their face. They're dodging arrows like they're not having a great time. There, there's not a wizard or sorcerer that's in there just decimating forces with flame and fires and, you know, all, all that sort. Yes, it's you know they're definitely going to get a few casts off, but both sides have the wizards too. Yeah, and they're also going to be looking for each other. You know, they're going to be looking to take them out and. There's definitely some tactics that can that, that can get shaken up, you know. You know, you put a wall of stone up, well, it kind of depletes a horse charge. Yeah. Um, that happens, but again, both sides have that. So you can also have, you know, yeah, you've got one puts up the the wall, but then you've got your wizard on your side. It goes boop, and your your wall is gone. Dispel, boop, dispel, boop, dispel. Oh, I guess our horses got through anyways after your three stone walls. That sucks. You just <laughs> wasted three spell slots, wizard. So, you know. It's kind of like Gandalf, if you remember from the Lord of the Rings, when he when the horses, uh, when the horseback are being attacked by the Nazgul, and they're leaving the, I believe the city starts with the, oh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but when they're riding back toward Minas Tirith, and Gandalf's using his staff again. It's like kind of same thing. And he's like, ah, you know, I'm just gonna ha, hit you guys, and 
you know, now my spell is going to make sure you guys can't do anything. I know they're not necessarily casting spells in Asco, but it's the same yeah, kind yeah. of premise. The, oh, yeah. the countering. So Yeah, getting rid of I, them. I, 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 I definitely let's say it, it plays this, because I thought the same thing too, but a really good uh, a really good thing to watch would actually be, uh, there's a trailer <clears throat> for, uh, it was Warhammer Online. Uh, it was an MMORPG that lasted for about a year or two, but the trailer that they made kind of showed off a wizard and a sorcerer very well without them being just like decimating the forces yeah the wizard killed like four guys yeah but you also saw the ranger kill four guys and you saw the melee fighter kill four guys so the the ways that they did it was just different the the wizard yeah he used his fireball spell and he you know he's about to do something else and then he died to the sorceress and then she went and she got a couple kills mm-hmm. you know casting a few of her spells and then she died so you know they're always dying you know yeah they're getting a couple kills off but this like I'm gonna nuke the place and it's gonna get me like a hundred kills like that just that doesn't it's a bit happen realistic. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to think like the was Gilead is the name of the city. Oh, you have to think because like the the soldier has been trained just as long as the caster has in this army that we're making up. So really, why should they be all that much better? And Brian and Bottles also says uh, in, in the chat there, full casters would basically fulfill the role of mortars artillery in the modern day. Uh, and like you say, there's casters on both sides, which is essentially counter battery. Exactly. So again, sense. you're launching a fireball, they're launching a fireball. You're launching an ice ball, they're launching an ice ball. You're launching a dispel, they're launching a dispel. Yeah. You, you know, war is a game of chess. A lot of the time you have very similar forces and it's just kind of like, oh, I managed to... Managed to pull up, you know. I managed to pull this up, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, no, that is a very good point. <coughs> Using them as kind of cannons and artillery mm-hmm. is uh, definitely a good way to use casters and think about them. Mm-hmm. That almost makes me kind of think that uh, the warfare would be a slight mix between modern and um, and past like medieval where it would be like you could have things like rolling barrages where you could have fireball 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 and as the fireballs are exploding you have the troops moving right behind them just like you yep. did in world war Two. so you can use a lot you can use like a few modern tactics cannon barrage it'd, it'd be the same thing it's just you know it, it'd be uh you know kind of the same thing with uh d-day when they bomb the shores right you can do the same thing hey our, our casters stood outside you know, we literally lined up our wizards and we bombarded the place with fireballs for an entire night. We just, wizards came up, all their spell slots. With next wizard, next wizard, next wizard. You know, we just bombarded it. You know, 100% Brian Balls is right there. With the, I'm just with the imagining but, a wizard just casting hundreds of fireballs, pew 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 pew, and slowly just getting redder and redder like the barrel of a gun, and then just next pretty much (laughs) all right you're exhausted go rest go recuperate we'll we'll see you in the morning for the next barrage so yeah definitely artillery is is how i would i would put spell casters and uh and and such and excellent well uh it has been really good talking to you jake about war um i i think that there's definitely a lot that uh, you guys in the audience if you enjoyed anything you thought that was a good idea or i know how i can Tweak that for my table. Take it back. Give it a shot. Come back. Let us know how it goes. Leave it in the YouTube comments. Uh, next week, I will be talking uh, DM NPCs and boss fights with Nerdy Northerner's own Ryan. So please turn tune in next Friday, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. 
and we will get inside the mind of another dungeon master. But till then, I am Zach the DM. See you guys later. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach, and you guys have a good night.